George was a creative visionary who came up with the idea for, for all of this. He needed someone who could be equally visionary to imagine what these fanciful things would sound like. And that is the genius of Ben Burns. My style of sound design has always involved uh, going out in the world around us and recording real sounds, motors, animal sounds, sounds from a factory. Because an audience can recognize the authenticity of those sounds. So sound effects become very important um, in coloring an imaginary universe. Welcome to episode number 81 of Blast Points. This is Jason. Hey, and this is Gabe, too. And we have an extra special birthday celebration today to get ready for everyone's favorite Ben birthday. One, two, three, You probably you probably looked outside and you saw the parades, you saw the fireworks, and you're wondering why. Right. If you're at the grocery store, they have the whole section. Uh, when you get the the cards, there's like mother, birthdays for mom, birthdays for dad, birthdays for kids, Ben birthdays. What is it? July 11th, July 12th. What day is his birthday? July 12th is Ben birthday. So, so the day after this episode comes out, you can get a cake, a giant cookie. A cookie cake with Ben Burt's face made of frosting on it. So we're going to be going in-depth in a little bit on Ben Burt, on his life, Ben Burt trivia, facts you may not know, a celebration of the man who gave the sound to Star Wars, and we're going to be talking about some of our favorite sounds from the Star Wars movies. But first, as always, there's a little bit of news. And let's start out with uh, Forces of Destiny. The choices we make. The actions we take, moments, both big and small, 
shape us into forces of destiny. Yeah, by the time we're recording this, I think, what, where there's three episodes out. Man, they came hard and fast, too. Like, I didn't realize that we would get so many so quickly. I've been really happy just because it's been, like, a blast of new Star Wars every single day. I'm pleasantly surprised with the way they turned out. And if anything, I think the only negative is they're so short. As soon as it's done, you're like, I want to watch another one. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope that everybody's happy with them enough that Disney decides to, I don't know, do something longer maybe. But there is always the charm to the super short because it's kind of hard to mess that up. Like you don't have time to get (laughs) for it to get boring. The Leia and the Ewoks one. I could have watched a four-hour version of that. Yeah, the Ewoks looked really good. I just loved it. started out right away where it's like, this is right when Leia and Wicket left just chilling on that log. Because I like that Leia is still talking like, well, I've got to find my friends. Look, I appreciate your help, but I need to find my friends. Yeah, it's neat, actually, with all of these, that they, they are trying to fit them actually into the timeline of what happens. And it's not just like this other day when something happened. It's like in between two scenes in one of the movies, we get this little side story. It was nice surprise to see the other Ewoks, too, which do you know? Could you tell what Ewoks those were? I'm not. No, sadly, I don't think I'm that hardcore, but <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody somewhere yeah. who... There's that there's that one Ewok chart with the picture of all the Ewoks and who it is, so I'm sure someone could could figure it out. Yeah, it's like our friend uh, our friend Jay on our Twitter page said it's uh, kind of a bummer that the Leia episode didn't end with a big rousing game of drop the sack. Well, there there's always the next episode. <laughs> <clears throat> we never know because I always think that was my favorite thing with the the two Ray BB-8 ones is like the first one was really cool, and I like that the second one actually built on what had happened in the first one. Yeah. And, man, that second episode is like someone at Lucasfilm was like, hey, we're going to make an episode just for Jason and Gabe because (laughs) it not only had Tito with full-on Tito voice, it had more of the little sand thing with the Kojima sound, even though they did it in the episode before. You're like, no, we're going to do it again. Because <laughs> people can't get enough of that. The, no. The sand monster. If you want the droid, you're going to have to come and get him. <laughs> Just wait for it. I'm sure this is going to work. <laughs> I've been really, I can't, it's, and it's neat too, because like every day has been like, what's next? Who's going to, what's this one going to be about? I was thinking too, man, there's a really good chance that we'll see G897 in one of these. At this point, definitely, because (laughs) they know what the people want. They want the Kojima sand monster. They want more Tito. They want more blinking Ewoks, Ewok hijinks. So that all roads lead to GA-97. Yeah, we may get our scene of G-8 walking across the screen, and we can retire in peace. In animation, GA-97, he could dance, he could do the splits. 
He could ride a hoverboard. But Jar Jar could show up. I think Jar Jar should show up in like the Padme one. Oh yeah, I think he will. Somebody call up BJ Hughes. Oh, Misa. So I was surprised to find out that I thought they were using the same Leia from Rebels, but it looks like it's a different Leia. Is it? I think so. On Rebels, it's Julie Dolan. And on Forces of Destiny, it's Shelby Young. Hmm. So we'll see. I wonder if they're going to keep the other Leia for Rebels. Because she's like young Leia, and this is somehow middle-aged Leia. I don't know. Yeah, Return of the Jedi Leia. That's interesting because yeah, when the Ewok escape came out, part of me was like, hmm, Leia sounds a little different. Because I thought on Rebels, I thought she sounded amazing. But that she really got that young Carrie Fisher thing down. But, huh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I thought this, this Leia sounded really good, too, so. We're in we're in good hands either way. Um, the only thing that was kind of weird is I wonder does is Maz going to get an episode where she does something because it's kind of weird that they use the exact same Maz clip at the beginning of each episode. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I like the kind of like just the idea that she introduces each one, like she's like the storyteller. But I would love to see that even expanded further, like. That Maz knows history and everything, and she's the one kind of telling these tales of bravery in Star Wars history. I don't know. Yeah, that's why I was kind of surprised that it's just that that same clip, because I kind of was thinking that, you know, instead of a crawl or maybe Maz would be like, you know, this story is about this or kind of explaining something or having something to tie into the story instead of just the, hey, this is the forces of destiny maybe when um it comes out well in whatever way they're presenting it on uh, the disney channel when they do like that special and it's, oh that's true maybe it'll be a little different i don't know <laughs> yeah well i can't wait to see what uh what's next how many shorts are there going to be in this first group and i don't know there's at least i think seven because if you go by the imd thing uh lupita's listed for seven episodes Leia has two. Ray has two. No listing for BJ Hughes at all. No, or Ahmed. They should just give Ahmed some other other parts. Yeah, just let him play everybody. Felicity Jones, and then Ahmed Best just all the other sounds. <laughs> So in crazy news, the making of Rogue One book, just like the making of Force Awakens book, has been canceled. It was due to come out on October 3rd. It was going to be written by Josh Cushions, who also wrote The Art of Rogue One. Not coming out anymore. Weird. What, what do you think? What's the deal? Man, I don't... I mean, maybe that is just a Disney thing. They don't want to show making of stuff or is it a kathleen kennedy thing because it's the same with the dvds like the blu-rays have had very little behind the scenes stuff compared to the the you know traditional the classic lucasfilm releases so somebody somewhere is not a big fan of these behind the scenes things i don't know it's so weird because like you think back to the era of the prequels 
where the internet was just getting going and, you know, you had hyperspace and you had webisodes. In episode three, you had the live camera, which we've talked about, which mm-hmm. you and I obsessively sat around watching them. Putting Wookiee fur in one strand at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody talk to me. I'm busy. You're making a Wookiee. <laughs> That's the greatest day of my life. But yeah, it's like, you know, back in those days and, you know, even going back to the original trilogy and... Bantha tracks would come out with like production updates. This the making of you know the the previous six Star Wars movies was never that big of a mystery. But nowadays the art books will come out, which is almost surprising in that that you know, you see in the art books glimpses of different story drafts and how the script kind of evolved, and that's fascinating. But not not these making of books. I mean, what possibly is in these making of books that makes them keep it, getting canceled? Unless they're, I mean, if they were in the style of the other ones and actually going into day-to-day stuff, like maybe they don't want to talk about how, you know, with Force Awakens, they, they change script writers and the falling out with Lucas and that kind of stuff. And with Rogue One, maybe they don't want, there were chapters about the reshoots and... Tony Gilroy coming in and all that stuff. Maybe they don't want to dwell on that stuff right now. And maybe even all the drama over Han made them not want to remind people of some of the behind the scenes turmoil stuff. I don't know. I think back to also with the original trilogy, there's two absolutely amazing books that I've talked about before. There's uh, Once Upon a Galaxy, a journal, The Making of Empire Strikes Back. And then there's the, the Making of Return of the Jedi books. And especially the Once Upon a Galaxy making of Empire. Well, you can find that online really inexpensively. And it is like the most fascinating read ever because it's Alan Arnold. And he wrote, it's basically his diary of just hanging out on the set every day of Empire Strikes Back. And what was going down every single day. Fascinating read, but... That something like that could never come out today. Well, and even the the making of Revenge of the Sith was more that style. Yeah. It was just a chronological journal of what happened, which actually is a good segue into the writer of that, J.W. Rinsler, mm-hmm. who half wrote the Force Awakens making of book and the other ones. Maybe that's something he's going to get into in his awesome blog if, if you're not listening or listening to it. <laughs> I, I pay someone to read it for me, so you know, <laughs> I listen to it. No, if you're not reading it, um, really fascinating look at the history of his time at, at Lucasfilm. But yeah, I mean, he seems to be not holding back on anything. Maybe we'll find out what happened to the Force Awakens book at some point. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he, even his blog, what he's been writing about Lucasfilm, like you were saying, it's completely of that style. It's frank, it's honest, it's... He's telling it all how awesome it was and how weird it was to work at Lucasfilm during the time that he was there. I don't know. Maybe it's just a different culture now and things are very close or or maybe they just couldn't get the interviews they needed. I mean, we could be it could be far less scandalous than we're making it out to be. But it's weird to see the change. And I think it's it's sad in a way that it seems like so many people were who are, you know, in the creative field now, right, were not only just inspired by the films, but actually seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff kind of showed people how movies were made and, and, you know, got people excited about that part of it. If the art books start getting canceled, though, then I'm going to I'm gonna go out and start smashing stuff up. Yeah, at least we're getting the art books. I'm going to drive down the street in a tank, 
those art books, when those things come out, I have to go like live in a tent for a couple of days. Yeah, you have to take a day off, build a hammock. <laughs> I every single page, I flip to the. Oh no! Oh, I gotta wrap my head in a towel so my sweat doesn't damage the art book. Get some saran wrap, put it over my over the book on my lap. <laughs> Catch all the drool. I think the Rogue One book. I was like texting you every single page. You're not gonna believe yeah. what's on page eighty three. And you were just like, sounds cool. I'm going to get it eventually. Oh, yeah. no. It's all right. I think I'm still in shock from the Force Awakens book with Ray with the top of her X-Wing off, like lightsabering the bottom of a Star Destroyer or whatever they had in there. My whole family had gone to sleep, and I was reading the Art of Force Awakens book by the light, the flashlight of my phone. And there was the part where they were talking about crazy drafts of Force Awakens when Ray was swimming underwater to the remains of the the Death Star from Return yeah. of the Jedi, like looking for Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, like th- underwater. And I had an out-of-body experience. For a second, I was hovering above the ground. Next thing you know, it was two days later. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're driving. Wait, how did I get here? I was in the desert in Nevada. What the? Uh. It's Star Wars radio-controlled R2-D2. Two 9-volt and Super-C alkaline batteries not included. You can make R2-D2 move, beep, and flash his light by wireless radio control. Hey, let me try it. You can make R2 move forward. Look out, Dad! Backward, turn and beep. Hurry, turn, Dad! Radio-controlled R2-D2. New from the Star Wars collection by Kenner. So it's time to start the party. <laughs> yeah, get get your party hats on. Maybe get the ice cream out of the freezer. Get ready to scoop some scoops <laughs> some, <laughs> on your on your cake. If you're listening on an iPhone, put some ice cream on your iPhone and just eat it like a plate. It'll be fine. Light some candles. Call into work. It's, it's, it's a holiday. It's Ben Burt Day. <laughs> always had the uh, sound designer working on the picture from the very beginning. Ben Burt created the sound for the laser sword that really affected how I approached the laser sword fight. Fantasy like Star Wars uh, requires the complete uh, fabrication of a complete sound world from footsteps to exploding space stations. listen to this show, you know we love Ben Burt. When you think of Ben Burt and his importance to Star Wars, Gabe, what, do you, what does Ben Burt mean to you and Star Wars? Well, definitely Ben Burt is one of the, the main ingredients of Star Wars. Basically, what the holy trinity of Lucas, Ben Burt, and John Williams are kind of the, if you want to build some Star Wars, those are the three things you want to mix together. Um, and then you can season it with other people, depending on what flavor you're going for. But that's definitely the meat of Star Wars. Yeah, I would say his contributions to Star Wars are just as important 
as what John Williams did, what ILM did. And he was really one of the first superstars of sound design, when you think of it. I mean, there were quite a few movies before him that were especially science fiction or fantasy films. I mean, I think of like 2001 or Planet of the Apes or Fantastic Voyage or something like that that had really great sound work. But Star Wars and his Ben Burtt's work took it to another level. Yeah, there's so many invented sounds that are as iconic as any visual from the from the Star Wars movies or any you know piece of music that John Williams wrote. Like you can play this sound and everybody knows what movie it's from, what character it's from, and they're equally as uh, important in just getting people hooked on this universe and the films. It's interesting. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into it in a little bit, but he he was gathering sounds and working on the movie before filming even started. But what he was gathering, it was so also organic sounding and not of the time, very synthesizer, futuristic sounding, that it was weirdly a perfect marriage for what Lucas was out there doing and what he had in his head for the the basics of Star Wars design. Yeah, and then well, it fits in with the, the soundtrack as well. Like, they had a conscious decision to do more of a traditional orchestral organic soundtrack as opposed to more electronic music, and then that carried over, yeah, into the sound design as well, where all these fantastical machines and sounds were actually being generated by real-world things. My involvement began nine months before they actually went into the shooting of the film. In 1975... And I was just graduating from USC Film School when I got a call from Gary Kurtz. They were looking for someone to go out and gather sound effects that they could use as a library of material for the production. So it was a very unusual circumstance. The habit in Hollywood was not to bring sound people, sound editors, or sound mixers onto a production until the picture had actually been finished in editing. But George wanted something different. He wanted a very customized, very special soundtrack, not the kind of track that you'd get by just pulling effects from a library of pre-recorded sound. He wanted someone to go out and gather and develop specific sounds for the film. Once I read the script, I realized that there were hundreds of items in the film, everything from ambiences to weapons to alien voices to the voice of R2-D2. And I asked uh, George Lucas whether he wanted me to gather sounds for everything in the script, and they said, sure, go ahead. And they sent me a Nagra tape recorder. It's a portable tape recorder, along with a few microphones. And I was just turned loose to go out and gather sound by myself for about a year. Benjamin Burt Jr., Born July 12th, 1948. Born in Jamesville, New York. He said he never grew up wanting to be in the movie industry. That he, when he was young, he wanted to be a scientist. And in college, he studied for a degree in physics. Wow. But he was always interested in movies. And when he was a kid, he made a bunch of movies with his father's uh, Super 8 camera. And his father gave him a reel-to-reel tape recorder, and he got very, very interested in recording sounds. And he would record his favorite movies and TV shows and just listen back to the sounds with the headphones on. 
And he says he got very interested in how sound is connected to imagery in a movie because he just listened to just the audio and he could recall what happened. And I remember he did a lot of sound work for J.J.'s first Star Trek movie. And I remember some of the bonus features in that had Ben Burt talking about how when he was a kid, he would just re- he had, I think like every episode of the original series Star Trek, just the audio. <laughs> and he would just sit around listening to just the audio from the original series Star Trek, which instantly I knew we were best friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because didn't wasn't the big thing coming on to do the Star Trek is he wanted to try to recreate some of those classic sounds, right? Yeah, and even like the deep stuff, like the hum of the Enterprise and... Yeah, and he recreated from scratch, like, how did they do the phaser or the transporter? And how can we make an HD version of these classic Star Trek sounds? If anyone's going to do it, Ben Burt's the guy. Captain on the bridge! Burt has designed a sound for every single Star Wars film, E.T., and the entire Indiana Jones series. But as a longtime Star Trek fan, working on this movie was a dream come true. It was our love for Star Trek that kept us going, that we could just look on the screen, and there we were with Spock and Kirk and all the characters we love, and we could uh, vicariously be part of their adventure. So then when he was making these films with his dad's Super 8 camera, he would always try and do soundtracks. And he would do a soundtrack on a tape recorder separately and try it. And he said he would try and play it back to sync with his movie. Which, you know, I mean, what was he like, 10, 11, 12 years old doing this? (laughs) Yeah. And he just said that was a hobby he had. So he finished his college with his degree in physics. And then he wanted to be in the space program. Because this is, I think, you know, mid-late 60s. Yeah, probably. But he says interest in film was still there. And he thought somehow, how could he combine movies, physics, and all this stuff? Arthur C. Clarke visited, I think it was USC. And Ben Burt was assigned to be his escort for the day. And then, um, you know, 2001 was still fairly new. And I guess they had a long conversation about how 2001 was made. And Ben Burt said he realized, inspired by this conversation, that he could combine his interest in science with his interest in science fiction. And he got a job while he was there as a teaching assistant with the sound department at USC, helping people with other people's soundtracks. Now, George Lucas had already come and gone. And what's interesting is when Lucas was developing the original Star Wars, Walter Murch was like part of the package deal that Murch was going to do the sound. And Walter Murch, accomplished editor, and he was Lucas's, I believe he was Lucas's roommate in college, and Murch did all the sound for THX-138. Which is another really great kind of innovative sound design film, right? Oh, my God, yeah. And if you watch it on DVD or Blu-ray, it's amazing. But I I got to see THX in the theater once after it was uh, remastered in THX Sound. And that was one of the most amazing sound experiences in a theater I've ever had because it was bonkers. The sound that was so cool early on, like before I paid too much attention, 
I think I always got it confused that Ben Burt worked on that just because, you know, it's so good. It's, it's, yeah, it's so good and very Lucasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's definitely some consistency there. Let's get the 1114. What is that, Buzzy? The 321. Two, one. On to the 6 9. Mm-hmm. Well, that's enough. So, Merch around this time was busy. He was working on uh, Julia, and he was committed to do the Black Stallion after that. So, he couldn't do Star Wars. So, basically, Lucas and Gary Kurtz went to USC and they said, well, give us the next Walter Murch. And they said, well, this guy, Ben Burt, and the rest is history. It was about nine months before Star Wars started filming, and they pretty much just gave him free reign just to go out and do whatever. I mean, poor Lucas was so consumed with everything in those days of getting Star Wars off the ground that he just kind of was just, they gave him a tape recorder and they were just like, here's what Chewbacca is going to look like. Found, find a sound for Chewbacca, you know, and there's going to be lightsabers. Find a lightsaber sound. Yeah. Cause didn't he almost have like a year of pre-production just doing sound while they were trying to get the, the movie off the ground. And in that time he's going to the zoo and aircraft hair carriers. Yeah. Cause what's interesting almost is you could almost see on one hand where it's like, they knew they needed a sound guy, and they didn't have anything from do. So it's almost like busy work. Like, well, just go record some stuff. <laughs> but luckily, because the person they had is crazy Ben Burt, that he used that time to just get this huge library of stuff to build from. Because potentially someone else could have just screwed around for nine months, and then you know I got three months left. I got to hurry up and figure something out. His interest in science fiction. I mean, he he was into it. Yeah. So, you know, you describe a lightsaber to someone and, you know, it's so crazy now because you think the lightsaber and you imagine it in your head and you can hear the sound. But the image and the sound for Star Wars for so many of these things are so connected, like R2-D2 or Darth Vader. Yeah, and it's amazing to think how many of these sounds really came from the first film, too, like right from the start, like the visual, iconic visuals and the iconic audio you know was there it's not like it developed over time over the films in the end rinsler's making of star wars book lucas is off filming in england and there's a part where ben burt's talking about how he would send tapes every week to the set basically ben burt on saying like okay here's some stuff i came up with for chewbacca here's sad chewbacca here's angry chewbacca but he like he didn't think lucas was even had the time to listen to it and the first Ben Burt sound that was actually laid into the film was R2-D2's wail when he gets blasted by the Jawas. <laughs> and I guess when they were reviewing the footage that it was like, a brief moment in those very rocky early days of Star Wars where everyone was kind of like, well, that's great. One second of the film is working. So it's interesting, too, because like I, it talk, in the making of Star Wars book, it talks about how when Bert wasn't recording sounds, he was doing kind of everything else. Like he was helping out with ILM. When Lucas would come back from England, he was running around and he, 
helping and he would help a lot in the editing department with Paul Hirsch and Marsha Lucas and Richard Chu and the whole editing team. Yeah, that's, I think, another thing that's just really interesting and cool about Ben Bird is even though he's the audio guy, he had the the interest in, in film and film editing. And then ultimately with the prequels, he was one of the main editors, right? Yeah. I think it's fascinating how just, you know, out of dumb luck them getting him, they got these people that allowed, you know, the prequels to kind of be these huge movies that had a really small team working on them. Right. Cause I mean, you would have Lucas doing the Lucas thing, but then you had, you know, another editor doing the drama stuff and potentially I think Ben Burt doing all the action stuff and doing the audio, like, you know, people doing multiple things is not usually how these big giant blockbuster films are made. Well, it's, it's interesting how like during the making of a new hope, they talk about Paul Hirsch and Marsha Lucas would would finish a reel of Star Wars, and then they would give that reel to Ben Burt, and then days later he would deliver that same reel with all the sound effects in. And this is long before William started scoring. And then sometimes he would say, you know, why don't we get a reaction shot of R two after this? Because I have a good R two like sounding surprised or. You know, I think of the part where uh, 3PO is like, he, you know, and I don't like you either. You know, like I almost wonder if some of that came from Ben Burt suggesting like you could put in another shot here. You could do this and him getting a taste for film editing, which during the prequels, he was like the maniac. Yeah, I don't know how he ever slept. Because what is all the stuff too with like Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones with the animatics, right? Yeah, because like right with uh, even going back to the beginning Phantom Menace documentary, like early, early film tests of what the Jar Jar puppet, right? Was Ben Burt was the one in the back of the truck doing that? Yeah, it's like well, and they even I think go into a little bit with uh, is it the Making a Phantom Menace book? Rick McCollum's talking about how they went with a very small editing team for two years as opposed to a large editing team, you know, for six months, which just probably gave those guys a lot of time to just experiment with things. Yeah, there's so many documentaries for episode one or two or little webisodes or featurettes where there's just silliness going on in the editing booth. Like, we don't like where Panaka's standing, so we're going to move him over here, and then we got to take Liam's head and superimpose it on Ewan McGregor or something. Like, what? Yeah. I wonder if Ben got a lot of that because he'd worked with Lucas so long and Lucas was just comfortable with him as opposed to, you know, bringing in the new guy and and doing the crazy stuff like right away. (laughs) He's got to explain everything, you know, like you can't make eye contact with George Lucas after 6 p.m. You could definitely cannot touch his beard. Yeah, Ben can probably touch his beard. He probably could. Yeah, there's so many good behind the scenes Ben Burt stuff that you could spend a day or more just watching Ben Burt stuff. But the uh, I think it was the Attack of the Clone one films are not released. They escape. Oh, it's amazing. And you get to see, you know what? He's on a motorized scooter. Like in the beginning, he's like, OK, so I'm here editing and now I'm done. And then, he yeah, he gets on this little like scooter thing and goes racing through Skywalker Ranch. And did you notice, too, when he leaves his office, he's got like a a little photo of Zam. Zam Wessel taped up on the wall of his office. No, I missed that. I wonder if he was working on the voice. Yeah. That one's great too, them showing him his thought process and coming up with Poggle's voice. And uh, I forgot about the part 
where they're doing the ADR stuff and they're and they're doing the ADR for the love scene and they have like they're watching the dailies of Anakin and Padme kissing and just listening to the kiss sound effects. You remember that? <laughs> yeah, it goes on for so long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> ben, you're sweating. <laughs> Is that an elbow kiss or a forearm kiss or? Yeah, you have to kind of know what you're doing with your. Hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know. No detail yeah. was too small. No. I mean, maybe that's why, you know, like we said before, like Lucas found someone just as crazy as he was with Ben Burt. They obviously, both of them are a little concerned with details. And love the wild and the goofy and the weird. They're like soulmates or something because <laughs> everything we know about Ben Burt plus droids, the cartoon, right, is yep. heavily influenced and written and messed with 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 ben burt so he's a superhero yeah i think if there's one thing we learned from the great heap and we'll learn again in our upcoming second chapter of droids commentary episodes which will be written by ben burt is that yeah he's he's a gift to star wars in many many ways and he was a cameo he's the imperial trooper in return of the jedi and he's got the great scene at the end of uh, phantom menace with tricky rick yep did you know what his uh, character name from Phantom Menace is? No, I don't remember. Eben Baobab. Stepping softly in a stage zone. <laughs> so. Uh, he's related to re- Mungo. Related to Master Mungo. So. He had to get the Baobab family name in in Phantom Menace. Well, I like to think Ben Kenobi and Ben Quagineros and Ben Solo are all named after Ben Burt. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Yeah, he's a four-time Academy Award winner. Much deserved. Just his Star Wars achievements would be enough for, for a, a, a mortal man. But in addition to working with Lucas, he worked with Spielberg on just as many iconic things, right? He with all the Raiders movie or Raider, all the Indiana Jones movies, the iconic boulder sound from Raiders. He's worked with Pixar. Yeah, he Wally. He did all the robot sounds for Wally. And according to IMDb, his first experience with sound, film sound design, is the Roger Corman classic Death Race 2000 from 1975. The year 2000. America is a vast speedway. People line the streets to witness the greatest drivers on Earth in a race from sea to shining sea. This is a death race. You finish first, or not at all. Death Race 2000. So even that would be enough to get on the uh, superstar list. Yeah, win an Oscar. Well, and he, he kind of championed the, the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> kind of the... Common use today of the Wilhelm scream kind of comes from him putting it in all those movies. Yeah, that's a great. I forget about that. That that was his thing for so long. You could tell it was a Ben Burt movie. Yeah, well, and he, he's probably the only person crazy enough to have seen the movie that the Wilhelm scream is from, to have noticed it, and to be like, I really want to put that in uh, Star Wars. That was a great yeah, scream that was in right. this obscure movie from who knows when. Yeah, he probably has that on reel-to-reel tape from TV. Wilhelm! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe. 
So in celebration of Ben Burt and all he's done for Star Wars, let's count down our top five favorite Star Wars movie sounds. And I, I tried to keep mine to ones that could be Ben Burt. It gets a little tricky with the later films when he got more help. Yeah, um, and it's it's a weird thing, too, because he's on the credits of The Force Awakens as sound design. But I wonder how involved he was or if that was just because they were using his sounds. I don't know. Yeah, I got the feeling it was either from any legacy sounds and they were probably using library of sounds that he recorded when they were coming up with new stuff. I mean, both the guys, the main guys from Force Awakens, which was Matt Wood and Matt, Matt Wood, who's been there forever. And then um, Acord, David Acord. He's there in that uh, the documentary from Attack of the Clones. So he's been working with Ben for at least that long. Yeah, and both those guys have nothing but the, you know, best things to say about Ben Burr. I think they call him their teacher. Yeah, actually, I think uh, the David Accord guy was, he was an apprentice on Phantom Menace as well. Yeah, I wonder if him and Matt Wood probably started around the same time. Probably. So what's what would you say is your number five? I was trying to not pick the really obvious ones, like lightsabers and things, just because they're really obvious. But I did have to pick uh, R2, but specifically New Hope R2, because I've always been a big fan of the original R2 sounds because he's really kind of raunchy and dirty sounding in A New Hope. And over the years, they kind of, I guess, got better at making his sounds, but they lost some of the grunge. Just you reconsider playing that message for him. No, I don't think he likes you at all. No, I don't like you either. Because I always, that's one of the things I always notice when I watch Return of the Jedi, as much as I love Return of the Jedi, is when uh, R2 and 3PO are, are talking to the door, that R2 is very different sounding than he does, like, when they're talking in the desert in A New Hope. Goodness gracious me. Well, you know, and I, I was with you, too, because I at the bottom of my list, I had like all the obvious things like lightsabers, R2, Chewbacca, TIE fighters. But then I had to put on there, even though I don't know how much he had to do with it. But the bottom of my list, I had to put on there the lightsabers in The Force Awakens. Be, now, he came up with the lightsaber sound, but I felt like. And I've, every time I watched Force Awakens in the theater, I felt like the lightsabers were incredibly loud. Yeah. W- whenever they would turn on, they were the loudest I've ever heard in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And I really loved that. sound which that was what the first sound he came up with for the films too right so Mm -hmm. and it's the sound that will last as long as there's star wars yeah so for number four uh sticking with new hope is the is the dewback sound oh yeah Mm -hmm. sweet the sweet call of the dewback it's like rain on a summer night. The little pitter-patter of the dewback roar on the rooftops put me to sleep. <laughs> you hear it in your dreams. 
I know as much as it's fun to get new Star Wars stuff, but I'd love to get some more do-backs. I think eventually we'll have do-backs again. You know, Rogue One could have used some do-backs. They, yeah, they had the, the bizarre, long-legged dinosaur creatures, which could have been do-backs. But I wouldn't be surprised if Ron Howard's day one on the set was, <laughs> I need do-backs. Kathy Kennedy was like, you think you could do it, Ron? He's like, just give me some do-backs. <laughs> You want me back? Do back. (laughs) (laughs) So up next, my number four, Aunt Brew's food processor. Oh, good one. Have you seen Luke this morning? I feel like you could hear it for a hot second in Rogue One. I remember when I was in the, you know, because there was the fear with Rogue One. Like, is this, is it going to be Star Wars? I don't know. But like, as soon as I heard like that, I was just like, yeah, this is Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. That sound, just that sound makes me hungry thinking about it. (laughs) It makes me cozy. It makes me want to call up Amberu, ask her what we're having for dinner. Some vegetables or something, space vegetables. Yeah, she's brewing something up in that little machine. (laughs) So my number three is, it's got to be the seismic charge. Seismic charges. Stand by. I just remember that sound blowing my mind the first time I saw the movie and it's really never died down since it's like, you know, half explosion, half someone strumming a guitar. I remember when we wrote uh star tour seven times during, uh, <laughs> during galactic nights, during celebration, I yeah. we, we hadn't hit Geonosis yet. And I remember at one time we were wandering around the Hollywood studios and you're like, what other planets are there? And I'm like, well, there's Geonosis. And then I was like, and there's the seismic charge in it. <laughs> Yeah, that may have been the motivation to get like we uh, get back in line because we'd seen it like three times and we're like, okay, that's good. And then it's like, no, 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 no. We yeah, we got to find the seismic charge. I'm not going home until I hear it, <laughs> until I feel it in my in my chest. <laughs> what do you got for number three? Um, number three, I got to go with Sebulbas Pod Racer. That's another good one. That was one of my uh, alternates. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing Phantom Menace opening night, and it was at the now, no longer there, as I've said before, Studio 28 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it was um, their big theater one was actual THX sound. And I remember Sebulba's pod racer was, like, making the chairs shake. It was, like, you know, it was the best. And I was just like, man, if that movie wasn't making me blow kisses at it already, Sebulba's pod racer was sending me <laughs> over the edge. You put out a little lipstick in that part, <laughs> just in case. Just in I, case the movie comes out of the screen and you can kiss it. I, I think a little white handkerchief, just like I retreat. You did me in Phantom Menace. <laughs> but that's actually a good thing to bring up too. That like Ben Burt's sound is so incredible that a you could just listen to the pod race with your eyes closed and know what's going on, and it's. So incredible that they kind of, you know, George Lucas would give him a section of each film to just, you know, have a symphony of audio with. We had the pod race in Phantom Menace. We had the asteroid chase in 
uh, clones. Sith, the whole weird opening with um, elevator antics and super battle droids and R2 and just craziness. Also, there's a lot of, in Sith, like a lot of the parts with um, Grievous's bike. It's just Ben Burt going crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's your next one? Yeah, my next one, my number two, is back to Attack of the Clones. Uh, Watt Tambor's knob on his chest. Oh. The techno-union army is at your disposal count. Classic. Yeah, I... Can't get enough of that. Next level. <laughs> it's just a little, just a little bit, but you know, it was good enough that they had to stick it back into the Gendy Clone Wars. It really should be in every Star Wars movie. There should be a Watt Tambor dude constantly. I'm still bummed they haven't sold like a Watt Tambor knob that you can just stick on your shirt and you would turn it and it just makes it sound. <laughs> I would sew them on all my shirts. <laughs> There's still time, you know. Disney, please. I'll buy at least five of them. Or, you know, Sideshow never made a talking Watt Tambor 12-inch. Nobody made one, yeah. <laughs> you know who's going to make one? Funko is going to make one, and there'll be a talking Funko Pop Watt Tambor that I'll have to buy. I have no shame. Oh, yeah. I won't want to buy it, but I will. I have the Funko Luke Skywalker from Force Awakens, because that's the only way you can get Luke Skywalker with a beard in plastic. I'm not happy about it, but I have it. So I'm afraid my next one, my number two, may be your number one. <laughs> I think I know what it is. I think I think you do. The Death Star Lever. Which actually is almost identical to the tractor beam sound, too. So I actually wrote both down because they're kind of interchangeable. drops <laughs> I think that's a, a really a hot one too because I was looking at some YouTube clip of that and like someone in the comments was like 10 seconds in <laughs> that was their favorite too when you get pumped up talking about the Death Star lever you got to make the sound you know yeah yeah, that's why they invented subwoofers. <laughs> Base cannons. Yeah. I, I wonder if there ever has been, like, a hip-hop song that has sampled the Death Star lever. I would hope so. You'd think. Yeah. It's right there. If that if you stole my number one as your number two, then I'm going to change my number one to the one I just thought of. Okay, it's honorable mention would be the the Magnagar staff. Oh, yes. When they're fighting and they twirling them, that little buzz. I don't know. What, what's your number one then? Well, my number one that I had listed was the seismic charge. Oh, okay. 
But I'm going to give an honorable mention, number one, to the Death Star droid. Oh. Where I just love that Death Star droid chatter and the fact that they brought it back for a hot second. Actually, I think twice in Rogue One because there's a Death Star droid on Jedha. And then when they're walking through the base on Scarif, you can hear it again. Yeah. So, you know, two times the fun with the Death Star droid. But really, my number one is the seismic charge. But I got a real soft spot for that Death Star droid voice. Yeah. Well, and if we're, you know, mentioning non, potentially non-Ben Burt ones like the Sabres and Force Awakens, we got to give a shout out to our buddy G897 sound. Because we don't talk about him enough. No, mm-hmm. we, we, we haven't mentioned him 70 times in this episode yet. So, no. so yeah, that's, that's a masterpiece. But, you know, and that's the thing, too. It's like going forward. The work Matthew Wood and Dave Acord are doing, and all the people that work at Skywalker Sound that we don't know their names, they're much like I feel like all of Lucasfilm is doing with the legacy of George Lucas and doing things the Lucas way. They're doing it the Ben Burt way. Yeah, because, you know, they got 10 years of working hand to hand with him at least. They're carrying on the tradition of the master, <laughs> the Burtster. <laughs> Yeah, and let's hope we hear more from Mr. Burt in the future. He seems to be keeping a low profile, but, man, maybe they'll give him a... Why don't they give him an episode of Rebels to do? Oh, yeah. Maybe he'll get... Maybe the new, the whole new cartoon will be from the mind of Ben Burt. Maybe it'll be a cartoon about Ben Burt. Well, probably as we speak right now, sound, you know, sound work is being finalized on Last Jedi, so somewhere there's some Burt magic happening. There's some space horse sounds being oh. created. Sometimes at night, I just lay awake, staring at the ceiling, wondering what the space horse is going to sound like. Imagine it crawling on your roof like reindeer. Is that you, Ben Burt? Yeah, it's going to dro- it's going to drop a, a Blu-ray of the Last Jedi down my chimney. <laughs> <laughs> to me, uh, the sound is a very important part of the picture. Is that just a uh, an assembly line thing where you sort of cut the picture and then you just dump the sound on later. It's a much more uh, thought out than that. The sound effects in Star Wars are really what gives these fantastic visuals credibility. And we just take for granted that these machines, these weapons, these aliens, enjoy your stay. These places are all real. There always had to be someone selecting or creating the sounds that uh, would be put into the soundtrack. And um, there's a real legacy there. The recordings live on. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. So we've got some more um, 
iTunes reviews that we'll get to next week. Um, but if you want to get your review included on there, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to Blast Points. Write us something nice, and we'll read your review on an upcoming show. And check out all kinds of Blast Points-ness on BlastPointsPodcast.com. Like us on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to download the podcast pretty much anywhere you can find Star Wars podcasts. And you can order Blast Points t-shirts off the website. And there's the theme music Gabe did here that you can listen to and download off the website, too. And all kinds of fun stuff. But that about wraps it up here for episode number 81 of Blast Points. If you want to keep the party going, too, later in the week, July 15th is Forrest Whitaker's birthday. On my birthday. You come to kill me on Ben's birthday. <laughs> Don't kill anyone. <laughs> on Ben's birthday, did you come here to celebrate Ben's birthday? He's not even here. Yeah. Um, and keep keep the cake away from Borgullet. Because no. he, he will eat all the cake. He thought Bodie Rook had some cake in his pocket. That's what he was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. There's some he's there's some cake in his mouth. He was going in for it. <laughs> some frosting. Mm-hmm. Yellow frosting. All right. So on that note, thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Mr. Benjamin Burt Jr. Uh, I'd like to specifically thank uh, Ken Mura of USC Cinema and producer Gary Curtis for giving me a start on this film and for associate producer Jim Nelson, whose great friendship and encouraged me and encouragement, <laughs> help me out, fellas, <laughs> uh, was helped me a lot during the film. And I'd like to, of course, thank George Lucas, who had all the great ideas and provided all the inspiration for the things in Star Wars. Thank you very much. Made a full.